Welcome to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma Podcast Channel. This Sunday, Apostle continues in the Sunday service series on the Holy Spirit. Today, Apostle shows us from Scripture how Jesus was both the tabernacle and the temple of God. The man of God goes on to show in what way Jesus qualified as the temple. He concludes by giving us a greater understanding of how we are the temple of God. Grab your Bibles, pens, and notepads as we join Apostle Frederick Kaliluma from City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. So I'm not going to take anything for granted as we continue going precept after precept. Uh, you may not know, but the series we are on is not even a glory of God series. It's the Holy Spirit series. So we'll have a glory of God series probably one of these days. And we'll go into details on that. I was just touching certain areas. Now, here are a few things we established. We are mainly looking at the Old Testament, right? And we saw how in the Old Testament, God related with Moses. Moses got to see, even though in part, God's glory. And we notice that the glory of God reveals the person of God, reveals the attributes of God, reveals what makes God God. And then we had also looked at how this same glory of God would be for lack of a better term, attracted to the Ark of the Covenant, which God told them to make. And this Ark was put in a tabernacle. And we saw the relationship between the glory of God and the Holy Spirit. Because uh, at times they would say the glory of God filled the temple. But in other instances, you'll notice they would talk about the Spirit blowing behind in the Holy of Holies. If you try to have a separate image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, you'll struggle. Philip once asked Jesus, show us the Father. And he said, don't you know when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I know, right? I mean, he's telling you to pray, our Father which art in heaven. Then afterwards he says, the Father who is within me. So you, you get to see that they, they are one. It's, it's like me. You can't say, right now, let me talk to Apostle Frederick's soul. Okay, right now, I'm now talking to his spirit. And then now I'm talking to his body. The only reason why we do the separation in our teachings is just for a clearer understanding. Otherwise, the mystery of godliness is that God was manifested in flesh, seen by the angels. You've seen that in the book of Timothy. So godliness has a mystery. So I want us to understand that at times I will use interchangeably the glory and the spirit for the context of this lesson. Praise God. So now we see that the glory of God would come where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there was this tent that was built called a tabernacle. Afterwards, Israel built a temple through King Solomon. And if you remember, when they dedicated that temple to the Lord, it was built in a very similar pattern to the tabernacle. And when it was dedicated to the Lord, what happened? The glory of God filled the temple. And when the glory of God filled the temple, that temple became the Lord's house. So now, Last week, I began to mention that even though the glory of God would have visitations on earth, one day something very interesting happened. 
we actually had God on earth. I want us to have a clear understanding today of what it really meant to have Jesus Christ walk in the streets of earth. Praise God. John chapter number 1. And I want us to start from verse 1. In the beginning, I always start from verse 1 for the sake of context, right? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 13. Fourteen. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you wanted to have an understanding of how Jesus was in the beginning, it's very simple. He was the word. Was he a human being in the beginning? It's very simple. No. Was he the word? What happened? He became flesh. Why haven't you seen in the book of Hebrews why it says, today I have begotten you. Today you have become my son. So it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we are told the word became flesh. Like it, it was an actual event. And this event, we are given details of it. The Holy an angel named Gabriel came and spoke to a virgin named Mary and told Mary, saying, you're going to give birth to a son. And she said, how will this be so, since I have not known a man? And then, sorry, it's just that I, the Mary story, I've mainly seen it in Sunday school plays, so in my head, that's her voice. Yeah. Since I have not known a man. And then the angel said, fear not. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Usually that's why the kid forgets his lines, right? Yeah. <laughs> So he says, fear not, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Do you understand now why Jesus could say, my father who dwells in me? Because the Spirit came upon Mary. And in that process, the very word from the beginning became flesh. Everything went crazy. Suddenly angels were appearing to shepherds. They just didn't know who to tell. And they're like, guys, something has happened here. And they're like, what has happened? In, and of all places, in a manger. And I'm, I'm sure some of the angels, uh, there are one or two that, because you know, uh, if you read from the scriptures, they seem like every angel gets to see God. Remember, he's actually covered, right? By the cherubims, not so. So I'm sure there are one or two like, opportunity. <laughs> And it must have been so shocking. And there were parties everywhere. And then there were wise men from the east. They saw the star. Oh my goodness. Let me not preempt my Christmas sermon. I need to find a way to like put the sermon in such a way like it's a sermon musical. You know what I mean? Eh? Like a sermon musical. Like well, I, 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 I give one incident and then to my kids do something and then for keyboard they start they looked up and saw a star can you imagine how classic that would be <laughs> okay it is wrong 
My mind can be very theoretical sometimes. But nevertheless, um, Jesus was on earth. And here is how John describes it. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now remember the tabernacle, right? Where God's glory would be. Look at it from the Amplified. It says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So, when Jesus was on earth, he was the tabernacle. He was the tabernacle. And I've, I, I think I shared with you last year when we did the teaching on the tabernacle, that the gate of the tabernacle, we, let's not go to the colors, that's another story, but the gate of the tabernacle was called way. And then the door to the inner part was called truth. And then the veil was called life. And remember what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father. Where was the throne? It was in the very Holy of Holies, behind the veil. So that's why his flesh had to be torn up. The veil had to be torn. Because he's the way, the truth, the life. So the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And it says... And we actually saw his glory. So if anybody wanted to see the glory of God, all they had to do was find Jesus. If anyone wanted to see the glory of God, all they had to do was find Jesus. Because the word became flesh and tabernacled. Somebody praise the Lord. Here is the second point we have to see about Jesus. Jesus was not just a tabernacle on earth. John chapter number 2, verse 18 to verse 22. Let's start from verse 16 for context. And we can use the... Yeah. So Jesus comes into the temple... And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Let's go on. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. By the way, in case you didn't know, if you associate zeal for God with being young or being new in the faith or being a youth, you've already started backsliding. That's backsliding. That's not Christ-like. Because Christ-like is zeal for my father's house. It has munched me. I don't even give away. It has eaten me up. Maybe that's why it says he'll renew their youth like that of an ego. It should eat you up. You should be about your father's business. Praise God. Do you remember when Jesus was found in the temple? And the parent said, we've been looking for you. And he responded, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? You, you know what the thought was there? Was, Did you even have to look everywhere? If you know, if you want to find me, the most likely places are the temple. The Bible does say, however, that he went back and he was obedient. Eh? But nevertheless, my biggest point is, if they are looking for you, what's the first place they'll check? Who's the first person they'll call? 
If for some reason you are 20 or 30 minutes late that day per adventure, who's the first person they'll call to find out where you are? What's the first suspicion of where you are? <laughs> Praise God. Now, let's go to the next verse. So the Jews answered and said to him, if this doesn't make you do a somersault, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? In short, they say, what does this guy think he is? He comes in the temple, starts whipping people. And they're like, okay, show us a sign. Who do you think you are? What sign do you have to show us why you're doing these things? Uh -huh. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, hold on. Do you remember we said how God does not dwell in human temples? Those were, he would just visit for a while. And guess what? They were thinking humanly. Look at their reply. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years because that temple Solomon built was destroyed. So they go like, does this guy know what he's talking about? It has taken 46 years. Praise God. For some of us, we can enter that 46 three times. Others too. There are very few who can say they are somewhere there. But imagine that your entire lifetime, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? Look at the next verse. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now, if you remember the teaching when we looked at the temple in Chronicles, what made that building the temple? What made it the Lord's house? It was the presence of the Spirit. It was the presence of the glory of God. That's what separated it from the temple of Dagon. That's what separated it from any other house. It's that the presence of God was in that temple. That's, why, that, that's, that's what made it different. And Jesus, for the first time, comes. And guess what he talks, guess what he refers to as the temple? His body. Imagine, he's like, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. I asked, which temple? He was speaking of the temple of his body. And it missed all of them until he resurrected. Look at verse 22. It says, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Destroy this temple. So, Jesus, we've shown from the scriptures that he was a tabernacle. Guess what we've now shown? He was not just a tabernacle. He was the temple. <laughs> Jesus was the temple. And remember we said, the temple is the place of answered prayer. The temple is the place of interaction with the glory. That's why when Jesus, when people would meet Jesus, they would receive their answered prayer. It says, as many as touch the hem of his garment. You know that woman was not the only one who touched the hem of his garment, right? The Bible goes on to say, there's a portion where it says, as many that day. As many as touched the hem of his garment. So Jesus was not, and that's why he was, when people would meet him, they would worship because the temple is also the place of worship. So Jesus on earth, the temple on earth. Now, what qualified his body to be the temple? It's very simple. 
John chapter 3, verse 34. By the way, do we have the Passion Translation now? I saw it last week. John 3, verse 34. Let's look at the... Let's start from verse 33 and then we'll read 34. Then I'll read to you the Passion Translation. Talking about Jesus, it says, He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Uh Uh-huh. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. Let's have the Passion Translation. I'll read it for you. It says, The one whom God has sent to represent him will speak the words of God. For God has poured out upon him the fullness of the Holy Spirit without limitation. What made Jesus... So, listen, there were people in the scriptures who were anointed in the Old Testament. People like David, people like Abraham, and people like Elijah, and those sorts of people. But none of them were referred to as the temple. Why? Because there was a measure. For Solomon, he had the spirit of wisdom. But you could tell he didn't have the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Eventually, there something went missing. Daniel had the spirit of wisdom. He had the spirit of knowledge. But you can't say he had the spirit of might. Maybe not. Not to the extent that Samson had the spirit of might. But didn't have the spirit of wisdom. There was always something missing. But then for Jesus, there was a prophecy given. And the prophecy that was given, you find that in Isaiah 11 verse 1. And two, we'll do that when we do it, the seven spirits of God. It's not seven Holy Spirits, just uh, the sevenfold personality of the Spirit. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a road from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Then we'll begin to, told, to be told what will be there. Uh-huh. Verse 2. Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's seven. That's completion. That's fullness. And I love the next verse. Of all the things, guess what? His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Praise God. That's where his delight is. But that's a story for another day. What I'm trying to say is that what qualified Jesus' body to be called a temple is that he had the spirit without measure. He had the spirit without measure measure. The spirit without limitation. That's what qualified him to be called the temple. I want you to understand that the temple was not a small deal. That's why when he said destroy this temple or raise it in three days, did you notice they told him saying anyway, it took us 46 years. Why do you think that when Jesus uh, died and rose again, that temple soon after had to be destroyed. Have you ever read what Jesus said? You remember when he was with his disciples and the Bible says his disciples were admiring the colors of the temple. And then Jesus went, uh, not long from now, not a stone will be left. And then in 40 AD, that temple was destroyed. Come on, we've read that. Lots of Praise God. 
say, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. So what, may, what qualified Jesus' body to be called a temple is because he had the spirit without measure. Now, I want you to understand that God with us, I want you to understand that Emmanuel was not the promise. Emmanuel was not the promise. Emmanuel was the means to the promise. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 7, Emmanuel is described as the sign. It should be Isaiah 7.15, right? Is it? Emmanuel is described as the sign. It says, the Lord himself will give you a son, a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. If this was the promise, then when the people wanted to make Jesus king, he would have accepted it. But that wasn't his path. There was something he was trying to raise. He came on earth to do something. And I'm going to show you two verses which will leave you hungry to show what he came to do. Look at Matthew 3, verse 11. I hope you are connecting the dots. Jesus was a tabernacle and he had the glory of God, right? Um, he was the literal expression of the glory of God. And then Jesus was also the temple. Why was he the temple? Because he had the spirit without measure. But this same Jesus had an assignment. And John the Baptist described his assignment perfectly. In John 3 verse 11. Uh, sorry, Matthew 3 verse 11. And it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than thy, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to understand something. Don't take this statement lightly. Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest prophet before him. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament, not so. That's how Jesus described him. Perhaps he had the most accurate revelation. Perhaps. Maybe it's because he saw it and would literally tell saying, there he is. But John the Baptist, in summarizing Jesus' ministry, says he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is way more than just praying in tongues. You know what it means to be baptized into something? You know when you are baptized into something, you are introduced into something. For example, have you ever heard of uh, someone say, uh, maybe like a football match, and maybe one team loses, they'll say they were baptized. It's like they're trying, it's like they're trying to say, welcome now to football. And then Jesus is, Jesus is being described as the one who baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. You'll see, I'll show you a verse later. Literally baptizing you in the Holy Ghost. That was his assignment. And, you know, I was meditating on this portion of scripture. I asked myself a question. I asked myself, what really is the gospel? That's, that's the biggest question I asked myself. I just asked, what really is the gospel? Because I want you to see something. Luke 12, verse 
12:24. It shows you how he was going to achieve this thing. Luke 12:24. Praise God. Somebody say glory. John 12:24. It shows you how he was going to achieve this. Jesus describing his assignment says something interesting. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Give me the NLT. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus wanted to produce more of his kind. He wanted to produce more tabernacles. Listen, he wanted to produce more temples. So what does he do? That's why I was asking myself what really is the gospel. You know why? I thought to myself, if I ran to Peter and James and John and all those, if I and I shouted, guys, guess what? Jesus has died. Were they really going to be excited? They were sorrowful. So you know the biggest question I asked myself? I asked myself, what was the gospel to Peter? What was the gospel to the disciples? The gospel to them was what Jesus taught the women. Jesus taught the women, go quick and tell. Go quickly and tell what? That Jesus Christ is risen. Now, why, is, why do we teach about his death and his burial? Because you must understand what he accomplished by his death. You must understand what he finished by his death. He had to die. You must understand what he accomplished. You must understand what he finished. You must understand what he dealt with through his death. But then, the gospel is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose from the dead. And it doesn't end there. The gospel is that this kernel of wheat when it was planted and died, (laughs) was able to produce not forgiven ones. No, not even cleansed ones. This kernel of wheat was able to produce other kernels. I don't know if you're getting me. Understanding that, We help you. It gives you now perspective because when he died, the spirit who was within him would now be poured out on others. And that's why before dying, he tells them. In John 14, verse 16. And I'll pray to the Father. He'll give you another helper. 
talking about the spirit. But for me, this builds up to John 16 verse 7, which is where we are starting from next week. In John 16 verse 7, he says something very interesting. Um, notice what he says. I want us to read it together. One, two, three, go. How can Jesus be saying that him going is to advantage? What was Jesus really trying to produce? I'm telling you, by the time we're done, you will not take the words temple of the Holy Spirit lightly. So, in summary, Jesus on earth was the tabernacle. Jesus on earth was the temple. But he decided that was too lonely. It's not good for man to be alone. (laughs) Praise God. Those words just popped out of me. And suddenly it's making sense. You know why? God tells Adam it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a suitable helper. And then he puts the man into a sleep. Just like Jesus had to die. And then when the man is in the deep sleep, he opens his side. Just like Jesus was speared. And then he produces a bride for him. And then when he produces a bride for him, the blessing comes with reproduction. In short, they'll be able to fill the earth with many more of their kind. (laughs) So Jesus being the tabernacle, Jesus being the temple. But him going to the deep sleep was going to produce more. And so, what made him the tabernacle is that he had the spirit without measure. But then he tells them, look, what's going to happen is this spirit within me will be poured out. Poured out. And he actually says it was to our advantage that he goes. Why was it to our advantage? Let's find out next week. Praise God. (laughs) Is it beginning now? I'll I'll, I'll tell you something that I was taught recently that really changed my perspective. I was taught that, you know, with messages like this, we've been up the cake. Many of us already know the cream, but we've never had an understanding of the depth of this. Never had an understanding of the depth. That's why an understanding of this, you will not live carelessly anymore. An understanding of this, you, you, you walk in the power of God. Praise God. In a minute, I would like to ask, is there anyone here who is saying, Pastor?
Oh wow, what a service. I have been so blessed and I know you have been too. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. You can reach the City of the Lord Church on 0777-930882. If you are unable to call, you can email us on thecityofthelordzambia at gmail.com or reach us on Facebook at the City of the Lord Church. Stay blessed.